All right. I'd like to welcome Melissa Broughton onto the show here, Labors of Love with Lydia. Uh, Melissa, she is the owner of Busy Bee uh, Advisors, and they are a bookkeeping and tax firm here in Sacramento. Melissa, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got here. Just let us know what your story is in a nutshell. Oh, my story. They're always long stories, right? Um, thank you, first of all, for having me on the show. I oh, yeah. am absolutely passionate about uh, talking to new and prospective business owners. Um, my background, I came to own my own bookkeeping and tax firm after decades. If I want to date myself that much after decades of working uh, as a corporate controller for various companies. And what I saw and noticed was that even at that high level of business, there was still a need for accurate bookkeeping and accurate record keeping. Um, of course, we specialize in working with small businesses. So startups, um, we love real estate agents. There's a few other niche markets that we work with as well. Um, but there's just so much that people don't know. And it's always scary as a consumer, as a business owner to jump into something. You just don't know what you don't know. So happy to happy to share my knowledge. Yeah, and that's exactly how we met. Basically, we were at a real estate convention and I was like, look, I'm trying to start my small business. I'm like, I don't even know what questions to ask. <laughs> uh, so Melissa was able to help me out with that. So we'll just get started talking about if someone wants to just start their own small business, side hustle, whatever it is, like now what? What are some things that they should, I guess, keep track of as they start investing in their startup and and why? Like as they get started, what are things that they need to keep in mind? Key words that you said there, one of the things you said is investing. So let's start with that. Let's start with the money side, right? Because in most cases, we don't start businesses um, just for the fun of it. Although sometimes people get lucky in a hobby that turn into profitable you know, ventures. Um, most people don't look at businesses, or at least at, at the level that we're talking about, most people don't look at businesses for um, you know, for tax savings purposes or anything like that. So you're starting a business for the purpose of making money. Um, the first thing that we want to acknowledge is, is how much money are you going to, or do you have available to initially invest in your business? So are you looking at getting a loan? Are you looking at financing it yourself? Do you have savings? Um, one of the things that we we see a lot with agents. So we'll talk about realtors because that's where we met. One of the things that we see a lot with agents is that they jump in because they think, um, you know, it's, it's a natural career choice. I mean, there are so many things about being a real estate agent that are that are pluses and bonuses. But I think one of the mistakes that sometimes people make is they jump into it and they don't have enough funding to cover them so themselves until that first commission check comes in, and then they're kind of chasing the ball of now they have this debt that they've accumulated. Their commission checks aren't quite enough. And I'm certainly not trying to scare anybody from getting into real estate. But their yeah. commission checks aren't quite enough to pay for what they want to pay for, what they need to pay for. And so they're constantly behind the ball. So um, if possible, figure out and you know write down kind of a business plan. Figure out how much time you think it will take before that first sale comes in, before that first commission check comes in, things like that. And in the most ideal situation, let's make sure that we um, have you know, three months worth of living expenses saved up. And that would be on top of uh, whatever you know your startup costs are for the business. So that's the ideal. And, and we know that things aren't always ideal. Um, a service, right? A service that we offer is to have this conversation. So I'll jump on the phone and, and like you and I had the other day, I'll jump on the phone with you or one of my um, team members will jump on the phone with you and we'll kind of do a talk of, what uh, what people need to 
be prepared for and some kind of questions to ask before they start their business. So that's the answer to that. So money is always the first thing we talk about and making a plan for money. Um, the next thing after money, so you've figured out how much money you need. And one of the things that I put together that I'll email you is it like a, see it very well, but a checklist of kind of what to think about. I think it's like seven things to think about before you start your business or before you jump into your business. So what we, what we find is that we are passionate about something. So we start a business about it and we really only have like half of our time that we get to spend on what we're super passionate about. The rest is on the business planning as a whole. So we know the unknowns, it makes it a little bit um, a little easier. So money is the first thing. The second thing is to open up a separate account for that business. So once you've figured out how much funding you have available, you actually have to fund the business. Most banks, you can open an account. I think it's like as little as $25. Um, if you have a bank account someplace, a lot of times it's easier to get a credit card depending on your credit. It's a lot easier to get a credit card with that bank. Um, credit cards right now are very easy to get. The interest rates are really low. There's still a lot of lenders that want to lend, but we are seeing interest rates climb up. And a lot of times what happens when these interest rates climb up is that credit, uh, the availability of credit becomes really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second step I would say is once you figure out how you want to fund your business is to set up that separate bank account. It doesn't need to be a business account. You can go, I actually recommend going to a bank or credit union that will allow you, especially if you're first starting out, that will allow you to have a free account. Um, mm-hmm. If you do that, you don't have that extra $12 because you have to pay every month or anything like that. So um, find a bank, have a free account and start the funding into that free account. Uh, I'm going to tell you to open up two accounts, though. I'm going to tell you to open up a checking account and a savings account. Most banks and credit unions, when you open up the savings account or open up the checking account, will let you open up a savings account for little or no money. So a dollar, something like that. So it's it's a really nominal fee. So if you had as little as $100 or $101 in your business, you might want to One thing that you mentioned in one of our previous conversations was hey, the credit card could be really helpful because maybe you don't have a lot of those funds that you'd be using to invest in your business. So having these separate accounts, having that separate credit card account is really going to help you accurately track how much you're investing into your business to start up. Like obviously it's going to be some out-of-pocket expenses or the money's coming from somewhere, but being able to keep track and and know all of those things and know where the money's coming from, where it's coming in, how much, when um, is all made a lot easier when it's not integrated with your personal accounts and your personal credit cards. Right. Cause it makes it really easy to lose track of those expenses. So mm-hmm. you're putting money out and it's, you know, um, your business needs a business license, or if you buy some supplies or if you buy a computer or if you, you know, whatever those little costs are, you can actually go back and a good tax preparer will walk you through going back about six months, sometimes a little bit more. There's certain things that we can pull from a little bit further back, but let's mm-hmm. think about, so, if I start my um, business on June 1st, I can go back to January 1st and claim any of those expenses. But if they're all over the place, you know, if some are in your wallet and some are in your purse and some are in a pocket somewhere, it's really easy to um, to lose track of those. So open up that bank account as soon as possible. That's, right. that's the first. There's, that's the second thing I would say. And I think um, something that everyone's thinking is, like, do I need to be saving all of my receipts? Like, what do we, what do we do there? Are we tracking spending on paper too, or what? Like, what's the purpose of that, and should we be doing it? So, you know, the receipts and the purpose of saving receipts is in the event of an audit. Everybody has a what a one in ten chance of getting audited. I mean, there's so many different chances out there. Um, 
have seen clients and gotten clients through audits. I certainly don't say fear the audit. In fact, our stance is to not fear the audit. The, the audit is no different. Going through an audit is no different than your teacher checking your homework, right? So it, it happens. It may happen. The biggest thing you want to make sure is you have all of your records in a row. Um, receipts are great. However, receipts are usually printed on thermal paper. And I, I know it sounds like I'm going to go on a rant here. I'm not. Um, they're printed on thermal paper. They're left out in the sun. The ink disappears or the whole thing turns black. So mm -hmm. the other thing that happens, most people don't keep their records in temperature controlled environments. You know, we have a box of tax receipts. Maybe it's in the garage. Maybe it's so receipts can fade over time. Mm -hmm. um, the IRS will accept bank statements as proof of your spending. So if you're following along with me, I have a, a business account and all of my spending for my business is out of that business account, then you're naturally going to have proof of those expenses on the bank statement of the account. Where you run into trouble is if you're spending cash on expenses and then the only proof that you have for those expenses is the receipt. Mm -hmm. So uh, something else that we recommend is a 12 pocket or rather a 13 pocket accordion file folder. Super simple. You can order them on Amazon. We should have more available on our website here soon. I was hoping that they would be available by the time of the call, but they're not. So mm -hmm. Amazon is fantastic. 13 pocket accordion file folder and labels in each tab for the month. So January mm -hmm. to December, you've got your extra tab for other paperwork to keep in there. And as the months go by and you have receipts for a given month, just pop those receipts in the months folder. Super easy, great way to keep track of it. And then you also have your bank statements as well as backup. So ideally, yes, we have receipts for every single transaction possible. Um, however, a good backup to that is having a bank statement. Mm -hmm. Gosh, so if we've if you've already started investing in your business, but you're using all of your personal accounts, uh, save those receipts and then get your bank, <laughs> get your business bank account so that you can have that reliable backup as well. Because I've I've seen a couple receipts from just in June, like a couple months ago, and I'm like, oh, I can barely read this. Um, that's not helpful. <laughs> well, and the, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but the file folder works for. We have large clients that use the file folders, the accordion file folder, as well as small businesses. It just gives you one place for when you find those straggler receipts, it gives you one place to know, okay, this receipt needs to go in there rather mm -hmm. than feeling this constant worry of, oh, you know, where's this or where's that? I mean, it's just too much stress to, to feel yeah. like that's all over the place. So, yeah, organization is key. It awesome. is. It is key. <laughs> what are some things to consider? Like, there's all these things you could do. You could be a sole proprietor, you can incorporate, you could, like, be an LLC. Like, what are things to consider? maybe tax-wise, for deciding between which route you should have your business under? So that we, that we talked and we weren't sure what questions to ask me. I think we're, I think we're doing great. It's kind of like we, we planned this a little bit. So, um, you know, so your first thing that you've done is you've figured out how to fund your business. The next thing that you've done is you've gotten a bank account, checking account, and a savings account, maybe a credit card. The third thing you're going to do is you're going to actually do a little bit of a deep dive into how you want the business to look. And it, it, I say it's how you want the business to look because I can spend hours and there's companies that you can spend thousands of dollars with that can help you to put together a business plan. And it's really how we want the business to look because things can change and the best plans can change things on us. So one of the things that goes along with that plan is figuring out how you want the business to be structured. And there's a few different choices to think about. So you've got your sole proprietor, which is what everybody automatically thinks of as. So 
Lydia, you walk out and you decide you want to start a business and you don't want to do anything else other than maybe get a business license. You're not thinking too far ahead as in tax planning. You got super excited. Uh, you listen to me, let's say, as far as opening up a separate bank account and got some you know, money tucked away, but you didn't go further than that. So that's automatically going to default to being a sole proprietorship. And when we talk about the different business entity types, we're talking about how you file as a tax planner. So a sole proprietor means it's on you. It's on your social security number. Um, you're taxed at potentially the highest rate because you hit that self-employment tax, which is, you know, there's pluses and minuses to that. Um, right. Tax form is your schedule C, so it's all a part of your 10, your 10 form, your standard form that you use to file taxes as an individual or as a W-2. Mm -hmm. The next option would be a partnership, and a partnership means that, and it can be structured, let's say it's a 50-50 partnership. So you're still going to be filing on a Schedule C, but it means if we were 50-50 partners, that you take half of the income and expenses and I take half of the income and expenses. And your tax preparer is going to file a form 1065 for you, which is an additional form that shows proof of those income and expenses for the business, but it still goes on your personal taxes. So you get all the benefits of being income and all of the benefits of the expenses, or you could say you get you know, the drawback of the additional income, you have the additional expenses. So depending on how it's done and if you have a good tax preparer, um, if you're entering into business with someone else, a partnership could be good way to structure it. Um, the other options are when we get into corporations and that's when you're going to be, um, it's a completely different form than your Schedule C form. So you actually get what's called a K-1 um, from the bottom line number of what your business does. And with each type, there are, there are weekend long seminars that talk about each of these different types. So I'm really speeding along on it. With each different option, there's certain things to keep in mind. There's there's pros and cons to all. Um, but the thing to really think about is you automatically start out as a sole proprietor if you don't do anything else. Mm -hmm. And the lo next logical step that we will usually recommend to our clients is to become an S-corporation. So um, I'm more than happy to have a consultation with somebody to go over when that makes sense to do. Yeah. Um, that's, that's usually our next our next level suggestion. So you, would you say it's safe, like for a brand new, like small, small business, like uh, uh, vickles and dimes, I guess, to start out as a sole proprietor, then as you kind of figure things out and grow, then you can expand and look into those other business options as you're making more income? Absolutely. So the kind of the, the break even point, because there's additional fees, there's additional tax filing fees, it will, it will cost you more to have your taxes prepared if you are a corporation versus a sole proprietor. Most mm -hmm. sole proprietors, you know, you're at that sole proprietor level, you could probably walk through doing your taxes yourself. You go into the, you're a corporation, you definitely are in the arena where you want to hire someone. There's just mm -hmm. different things to be considered. There's there's more moving pieces. So you mm -hmm. have that additional fee. Um, you, you also have a mandatory fee from the uh, state of California. So the income level where we say to our clients that it makes sense is when you hit $60,000 in income for the year or greater. So that $60,000 in income is kind of the break-even point above that is where it really starts to make sense. Okay. So, That's a good number to know. <laughs> yeah. It's that magic note, $60,000. And and if you're below that, it really doesn't make sense just for tax savings purposes mm -hmm. to, to jump into the corporation side of things. So yeah, when you're starting out uh, an S-Corp, or sorry, when you're starting out becoming a sole proprietor is, is absolutely. I accidentally interchanged 
that's corp and sole proprietorship all the time. Yeah. Well, what would you say are the top three biggest surprises that you have seen new business owners um, run into, like when when tax season comes around or something like that? Like the, the three biggest. Oh, you know, I didn't think about that that they run into. Um, I think that one of the one of the biggest is probably not having their records in order. So they go and they're ready. You know, end of the year they're ready to file their taxes. And they um, haven't saved anything, so they haven't saved any of their bank statements. Of course, our clients are. Um, they haven't <laughs> saved any of their bank statements. They haven't saved any receipts. They've just been kind of forging ahead, accepting payments from, you know, from customers, selling whatever products or services they have. It comes to the end of the year, and they're really not prepared. And it's really, um, I mean, it's just really overwhelming and stressful to have to ram a year's worth of information together in a short amount of time. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know people that used to call themselves weekend warriors where they would, it would become taxes. You know, it's, it's almost April 15th. So I'm going to hunker down for you know, the whole weekend. Don't talk to me. And I'm going to get years worth of stuff together. And what I know without a question is that those clients miss out on deductions. There's just things that you don't think about. And even when our team is like asking questions of, hey, what about this? Or what about that? There's still things that are missed. So you're always better if you prepare. And preparing means, you know, every month. You're throwing all the receipts for the month in, in your accordion file folder and you're maybe totaling things up and, and seeing where maybe you missed some stuff. And there's there's some other tips and, and things when we when we have our file folders available, there's some tips that come with it as like reminders and things to say. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing is not having accurate records. Um, I would say the second thing, and it sounds, well, I guess it sounds pretty logical, is insurance, not making sure that they have the right level of insurance. It's easy when you're in a commercial space because part of your lease that you'll have certain insurance requirements so most of our clients that are in commercial spaces they're fine they're insured um i would say appropriately but you know we've had other clients where the power goes out in your neighborhood because it just falls down if your business and livelihood is out of your home you don't have something called it's called business interruption insurance and it's ridiculously inexpensive um I'm, by the way, not an insurance agent, but just from my own experience, ridiculously <laughs> inexpensive. And that would have covered, you know, your loss of income for that week. And that, you know, that can make a difference. So I would say the second thing is insurance, not making sure they have the, the appropriate levels of insurance. And the third thing, um, just knowing that in any industry, the direction of your business can change. And so there's a lot of people that are in the real estate and mortgage industry that are going through that right now, where Things were a certain way for a long time. We saw super low interest rates for a long time, and now things have shifted. And so mm-hmm. you really have to know what's working in your business and what's maybe not working to be able to shift when time to shift. And that all comes down to numbers. So if you can look at um, your financials, and it doesn't have to be, and this is from somebody who's a bookkeeper, who's an accountant saying this, it doesn't have to be some kind of fancy accounting software. If you're um, starting out as a sole proprietor and you're just starting out, there's a spreadsheet that we're happy to send that you can use to track your income expenses. So you're just tallying things up. Now, is that a long-term solution? Probably not. But if your business, you know, doesn't justify spending a lot of money on outside services, then I'm all for helping to save. So mm-hmm. keeping track of those expenses on a as-it-goes basis rather than waiting until the end of the year, insurance, and yeah, I would say those are the big two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And one that 
um, I feel might be a surprise for people. Uh, I guess it's technically two things that, and you mentioned it in one of our earlier conversations was in your savings, you want to save up for the amount of tax that you're going to owe at the end of the year, because it's not being withheld. And then the other thing we talked about was um, sales tax and kind of like hanging on to that, because if you're in a business that collects sales tax, you'll have to uh, pay that off at some time. Can we touch on those two topics? Yeah, let's talk about sales tax. So <laughs> sales tax, you go into the grocery store, you go wherever, and they, you know, it's like you spend a hundred dollars. Hundred dollars is now what twenty dollars used to be. You food. bought a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk. You spent hundred dollars. Exactly. Hundred dollars. And um, it costs you. And I, I'm terrible. I don't even know what Sacramento County sales tax rate is right now. But it costs you one hundred eight seventy five. So that eight dollars and seventy five cents is what's collected for sales tax. The same thing happens for your business or anybody else else's business if they sell a tangible item. Um, if you sell a tangible item, you're supposed to be registered with the CDTFA. It's really easy to say it fast, but it's the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration. And they're who regulates all the sales tax. Uh, the department previously was the, um, oh my God, Franchise Tax, no, not Franchise Tax Board, Board of Equalization. Sorry. It's a lot of acronyms to keep yeah, up with. Yeah, and then there's they lots of acronyms to keep track of. Um, anyway, the current organization that's responsible for sales tax is CDTFA. Register for sales tax. What that allows you to do is have an account where you go on and it's all self-reported. So you report your sales and you um, can also report your income so you know how much you need to pay in sales tax. So that eight and a quarter percent, let's call it, that you've collected, um, you hold on to it, but it's not due for a year. Well, that $8 or however much it is, depending on your volume, you know, that can add up to a significant amount over a year. And if you're not able to make payments because the filings aren't due and you wait until the end of the year, that can just be a big lump of money you have to pay. So what we recommend is that every month you're going through your sales for the previous month. So it's February. You're looking at your sales for January, what you collected sales tax on, and you're taking the money and you're transferring it from your checking account to your savings account. So that come the end of the year when that tax is due, you have it all sitting in your um, savings account and you're ready to just transfer it back into your checking and make the payment and there's no issue mm -hmm. with it. Chances are you'll probably end up transferring a little bit more so it gives you a head start on the next year too. Yeah. And then what about for the the income tax? Since your taxes aren't automatically being withheld because you're a sole proprietor or whatever you are, um said we should check in like quarterly or something like that to to pay those income taxes or how did that work? Yep. So you've got quarterly tax payments that are due if you, and there's always these ifs, right? And I think that's the, the piece about tax that becomes so challenging is it's not just a, this is, you know, ingrained in stone. There's this if and that's if and this if and that's if. But if we think about it, that take it as a, a just a, a stated in a must, we know that we're going to have tax due. Um, mm -hmm. If we set aside 20% of our sales for tax in our first year, we'll be clear for whatever quarterly tax payments you need to make. So where the ifs come into play, and I think where it becomes a little bit overwhelming to people is that you don't have to pay quarterly sales tax if you end up filing and showing a loss for your business. <clears throat> well, you may not know if you have a loss for your business until the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And our objective in business is to make money. You don't ever want to hope for a loss. So it's better to plan. Worst case, you have that 20% that's you know, that can be a year-end bonus. I mean, we have a lot of clients that 
plan very well to where they, and it's something that we can have a conversation with somebody about and how to do this. But our strategy is really to help the people that are in business make as much money from their business and keep as little money in their business so that you're, you know, you're maximizing your, your earnings. So at the end of the year, sometimes that 20% will become an extra bonus. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and so this is this is all really great information. And, and again, this is a, a big yeah. overview of like <laughs> just trying to get a little bit of all the information here and there. Um, but one of the last thing that I want to touch on since we're short on time um, would be okay, we've talked about starting your own business from scratch. But one thing that I talked to you about was like possibly purchasing an existing business and like what documents should I ask for? Like what should I be looking at to know if this is a good investment for me to buy this business um so let's just talk about if you were to purchase a business like we already know this have a bank account and this and all that good stuff but purchasing a business what should we be asking for um to know if this is a good decision to buy this existing business or not so there's a couple different ways to purchase a business you can use a broker to purchase a business um keep in mind that if you're using a broker sometimes the brokers will represent both parties so it's somewhat similar to real estate we have a broker, the broker can make the commission, brokers paid from the seller in theory. So they, mm -hmm. pay, they make a commission on the, um, <coughs> they make a commission on the sales price of the business. Mm -hmm. The standard documents that the broker is going to recommend or that a banker is going to recommend you get are tax returns. Tax returns are interesting because it doesn't necessarily always show the full picture of the business. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of wiggle room that you have as a tax preparer. And, and I'm not saying breaking the law wiggle room. I'm just saying if I have a client who one year wants to pay as little taxes as possible, we're going to take advantage <coughs> of every deduction possible. Mm -hmm. So that the income is going to show as being very low. Yeah. However, if I have that same client, let's say they are looking at selling their business. Well, we want that business to look as profitable as possible. So maybe we won't take all of those deductions. Yeah. Well, if you can imagine, that would make the numbers look higher because you're not taking all the deductions. There's nothing against the law about not taking all of your deductions from your business. Yeah. I just have to mention, it's so funny how this all comes together, like being a loan officer and why in some cases I'll look at taxes and in some cases I'm like, no, I need your actual hard copy W-2s or, or whatever, like, because of these deductions and the, the wiggle room that you're talking about, depending on, you know, whether it was COVID times or not, and if they needed to write off more and, and so on. So yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. So the other thing then you talk about COVID, we've been in some very interesting times prior to COVID. So pre-2020, we would have said, have the business owner provide you with, if possible, the last three years of um, income statements. So three years of uh, profit and loss. Mm -hmm. And you would use that as your baseline of what to expect. Well, there are businesses that completely shut down for a year or a year and a half. So we can't look at that and say, this is what I can expect to be normal for this business. There are some businesses that shut down and bounce back and are doing more business than they were before. <laughs> and there's some businesses where they're just starting to kind of crawl back. So one of the things that we've kind of changed our approach on is you still want to ask for those tax returns. You do want to verify truth if they're profitable or not. The last three years tax returns? That's what I recommend. Okay. Um, if they don't have three years as money as they have, okay. we recently, we owned a business, a, a business aside from the firm. My husband and I owned another business. We 
held on to it for less than a year and ended up getting an offer for it and sold it. So if that buyer, although he approached us, but if that buyer had been wanting a tax return, there wouldn't have been anything to buy. So the first thing is three years tax returns, if that's possible. The next thing you want to ask for is bank statements. You want to make sure that what they're claiming on their financials, their income statement matches what's going to the bank. And if Mm -hmm. it's not, you want to have some kind of an explanation as to why. So we had um, a client that we did a business valuation for, and um, they they had a contract with the state. So it was a uh, car repair shop. They had a contract with the state, and the contract with the state said that they were guaranteed X amount of money every month in income. And he wanted to show that as income that he was receiving. But it really, you know, it, it kind of skewed the information. It wasn't truthful information because although it was a guarantee, he didn't necessarily get that income every so sometimes it was more, sometimes it was less. At the end of the year, sometimes a few months after, it would catch up. But he started to get pushback from prospective buyers on, they felt like it was missing. So do your due diligence, ask for the bank statements. Okay. So easy to get bank statements online now, but there's really no reason for a prospective seller not to be able to provide those or be willing to provide those. And if any of those things, if you have a seller that expects to sign a non-disclosure um, and that's just something that says that you won't talk about the business's financials to anybody. It's not anything scary. But if they're not willing to provide those things, that's when I would I would back away and I would potentially be willing to walk away from them because if they're being secretive about things at this point, um, you just don't know what's kind of hidden in the background. Yeah. Oh, that's all such great information to know. And I know we only have a couple more minutes left. So um, most importantly, I want everyone to know how to be able to to find you and to reach you either to get those, those that seven questions document or the um, the profit and loss tracker or just sure. to talk to you about their business ventures as well. So what are all the different ways people can get in touch with you? So we're on social. I have a team that manages that, so I'm not even going to try to put out there what we are on social. So we're just going to go through the old-fashioned website. We've got two websites that will both lead you to the same place. Mm-hmm. The first one is, of course, our business name, advisors with an ask.com. And the second one is I need book. Both will get us directed you directly to our website. You can actually book an appointment with myself or with our tax team directly from the website. And we're happy to um, answer questions and share our knowledge and help in any any way that we can. That's busybeeadvisors.com or I need bookkeeping.com. Yes. Okay, just making sure because the, the volume went out um, a little bit. And one thing to wrap up, I have to say, uh, Melissa has been absolutely phenomenal. I just had, you know, a few questions on like what ifs or what am I supposed to do with with starting this business, like just selling some crafts at a farmer's market or something like that. And she's truly uh, loves the education uh, side of things and sharing all of her knowledge. And she's just um, absolutely amazing to work with. And I really appreciate that about her. That's the, the approach that I take uh, with the lending side of things as well. I love educating because how are people supposed to know what they don't know? Like uh, you don't even know what questions to ask. And so um, I'm so happy that you were able to hop on this podcast with me and just get the bare basics out there. Um, maybe we'll be looking at another in-depth episode sometime in the future um so if anyone has feedback or what they want to hear more in another episode with melissa uh reach out to me let me know and we'll put something together for you guys and any any last things that you'd like to say melissa no just just be prepared whatever you decide to do with your business don't delay so much that you talk yourself out of doing it yeah talk to us talk to another accountant or tax firm be willing to jump in and take the risk because it is a risk there are things that you can do to prepare for it so that it's not as 
risky over risk. So mm-hmm. that, that would be my takeaway. Yeah, don't get caught in the analysis paralysis. And that's Absolutely. something that I've definitely learned over the years is something that I fall victim to. And um, now I'm like, okay, I have to reach out to the right people and resources that will help me jump into it safely without getting paralyzed yep. <laughs> and making no movement at all. So thank you so much, Melissa, for your time. We really appreciate it. And we hope to have another episode with you sometime soon.